Please pray with me. Dearest Heavenly Father, you, through your divine powers, have given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Let us give thanks to you on high for the showers of blessings we have received and for your very great and precious promises. Let us also humble ourselves under your mighty hand and cast all our cares upon you because you care so deeply about us. We are a people for your possession and have been called into your marvelous light, so let us now shine your light to the world. We pray today for Pastor Troy that through him you will train us in godliness since this holds the promise for the present life and the life to come. And we pray this in Jesus' perfect and holy name. Amen. Our scripture reading today is from Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 25. Um, I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. It is also printed in the worship guide on page 11 for you. If you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Before we read, I would remind you that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 25. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Leslie. I have a question for the children as we begin. I, when, I, when I was a child, when I was a young child, I always wanted to have a pet tiger. And so my question for the children is, do you think, I haven't had a pet tiger yet. The question is, do you think the day will ever come when maybe I can get a pet tiger? Or maybe the day will come when you could play with lions. If you listen carefully this morning, You'll hear an answer to that, how that might be possible someday, but more importantly, why and how that could be possible. So as we think about that, I want to also begin with just a little Bible trivia this morning. And you can answer this question out loud if you want, uh, not just children, but any ages. 
I don't have any prizes for anyone, but you can answer it if you want. I wonder if anyone knows who uh, one of the first deacons in the church was. The first deacons. And I can give you a little hint. Often we remember him also as the first martyr in the church. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 6. Anyone know? I hear it. Yes, well done. Stephen. Now, there were seven men chosen that day, actually. But we remember Stephen. Why? Because his story is told. His story is told for us. And it actually starts out on a very high note. So Stephen was chosen out of all the people in the church to serve as a servant leader. He was full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. He was ordained. So they, you know, we've done this here before. They, they brought him before the church. They laid hands on him. They prayed for him. And as he began to serve, the church continued to grow. The numbers multiplied greatly. Lives were being changed. People were being saved. He, the scriptures tell us that Stephen was full of power and grace. He was doing wonders and signs. He was easily winning debates with those who opposed him. Imagine the excitement, the encouragement, the joy that was spreading throughout the church and in Stephen's own life. But then it turned. He was falsely accused. People lied about him. They said things about him that weren't true, and he was taken before the high priest. And in a sense, he was put on trial, and his life was in danger. But he has this opportunity, this captive audience, and what does he do? He proclaims the gospel. He begins to tell the history of God's people, including the promise of the coming righteous one, the coming of Jesus. And he says to the crowd, that they are the ones who have betrayed and killed Jesus. And when Stephen says that, the crowd is enraged so much, they're so angry that they stone him to death. And as they are stoning him to death, Stephen cries out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now why do I tell that story to begin? We're studying through Romans, and Stephen is not in the book of Romans. But the reason I tell that story, it's a true story of one of God's children who experienced suffering first and then glory. Suffering first and then glory. And that's the pattern for every child of God. Now, not all of us will be persecuted in the same way that Stephen was. I would imagine hardly any of us here would be put to death for our faith in Christ. But... We all will suffer in various ways for various reasons. Suffering first and then glory. This was true for Stephen. It was true for Paul, who God inspired to write the book of Romans. It was true for our Savior, Jesus. It is true for all of God's people, those who are children of God, those who are united to Christ. And Paul affirms this truth in Romans chapter 8. He's already told us many wonderful truths. He began by saying, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has told us that we are not in the flesh, but we are in the spirit. And we have the spirit of the living God dwelling within us. He has said that we are children of God. We are heirs of God. These are wonderful, life-transforming truths that we should hold on to. They give us great hope and encouragement. But they are only a very small forecast of what is to come. There is a glory coming 
when we will be completely, totally free from all the effects of sin and death, both in our bodies and in our spirits, a day coming when there is no sin, there is no suffering, where not only we as the children of God will be redeemed, but God's creation, redeemed and restored, set free from its bondage to corruption. So there is a wideness to this future glory, a new heavens, a new earth, a new humanity. This is what is coming. But this forecast also calls for severe storms along the way before that beautiful sunrise, that joy that is coming in the morning. Suffering first and then glory. I mentioned this briefly last week in verse 17. Paul writes that if we are children of God, we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. In order that we may also be glorified with him. So we suffer with Christ first and then we are glorified with Christ. Amy Carmichael wrote about this over 100 years ago. She was a missionary to India and she was well acquainted with suffering. She spent decades ministering there. The last 20 years of her life, she was bedridden, suffering physically from a fall that she had there that led to illness. And she wrote this poem from the perspective of Christ writing to his followers. And it's called, Hast Thou No Scar? Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascended star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Leaned me against a tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar, yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Canst thou, can he have followed far who hast no wound or scar? Suffering first, then glory. Paul tells us that we as the children of God, we will suffer with Christ first and then we will be glorified with Christ. So beloved, knowing this, knowing this can help prepare us for life in this present world. It helps us to know that suffering is not unusual. It's not unexpected. It is not unique to us. It is part of life as a human and particularly as a follower of Jesus. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, you're going to suffer. So don't only hear that. He also says, you will be glorified. In fact, the coming glory will be so great that the present suffering cannot even compare to it. So this morning, as we look at this passage in Romans chapter 8, I want to give you simply the two anchors that Paul gives us. Two anchors to hide us, to to ground us in the storms of life, to orient us when the storms of life might disorient us, to stabilize us in the storms. Two very 
Simple anchors, beautiful truths, but they are these. First, Jesus suffered for us. Jesus suffered for us. And then secondly, there is a coming glory that far outweighs our present suffering. And it's not even close. It's not even close. We need to store up these truths in our hearts and our minds and remember them in the midst of our suffering. So that first anchor, Jesus suffered for us. And I get this point from one small phrase in verse 17. Paul said, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. We suffer with him. To suffer with Christ not only tells us that we will indeed suffer, but it also means that Christ himself has suffered. And Jesus suffered for us to deliver us from the worst suffering. So we might ask, what is the worst suffering? And even though it is the righteous judgment of God, we could say that the worst suffering is the wrath of the holy God poured out on the sinner as just punishment for their sin. The worst suffering that anyone could ever experience is eternal punishment in hell. And that is what you deserve. That is what every person deserves. And it is what we would receive if Jesus did not willingly take it for us. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives, this, gives us this picture of the future, the, the day of judgment, when Christ comes in his glory. And he tells us that he is going to separate all people into two groups, into those who know him and those who do not. He uses the phrase, the sheep and the goats. He's going to separate them into his people, those who are in Christ, those who are united with Christ that we've been seeing in Romans and those who reject him, those who are in Adam. And he will say to those who have rejected him, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and these will go away into eternal punishment, while the righteous will go into eternal life. Jesus is not the only one who shares this vision. In Revelation chapter 14, John is given this vision of God's coming judgment. And he writes it down and he gives it to God's people today. And he says this in Revelation 14. He saw an angel saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. Beloved, this is the worst suffering that anyone could imagine and Jesus Christ the sinless, spotless, undefiled Lamb of God, the Holy Son of God. He willingly endured this suffering so you wouldn't have to, to deliver you from it. Jesus Christ, your Creator and your King, 
He did not count equality with God something to hold on to. He humbled himself and he was born in the likeness of mankind, in the likeness of us. He took on flesh. Why? So that in that flesh he could suffer and die in your place for your rebellion, your wickedness, your sin. Beloved, you were the one who did wrong. I was the one who sinned. And Jesus was and is the holy God that we sinned against. And instead of giving you the punishment that you deserved, that you had earned, Jesus came and suffered it himself. Out of his great love for you. And for the glory of God. And so Peter said, for Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, that he might bring us to God. Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Jesus suffered for us. That's the first anchor to hold onto in the midst of your present suffering. Whatever it may be to know that the holy God entered into your suffering and suffered for you. He died on the cross so you do not have to. Jesus himself suffered for us to deliver us from the worst suffering. But as we remember that, as we hold on to that anchor, we must also know that Jesus does not deliver everyone from this suffering. But only those who respond in repentance and faith. In John 3, The Bible tells us whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God remains on him. So I ask you this morning, have you believed in the Son? Have you obeyed the Son? And what was Jesus' message? It was very simple. Repent and believe the good news. That is what it means to obey the Son. To repent and believe the good news. And you have not done that You can do that now, this very moment, as God calls you by his spirit. The message and call of the gospel is simple. It is clear. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, and he was raised on the third day. And now he says, repent. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your need. And believe. Believe that Jesus is who he said he is, who he proved himself to be. Trust in Jesus as the only way to be forgiven, the only way to be delivered from the wrath of God. And if you have, beloved, then no matter how many times you hear this, don't let the wonder of it be lost on you. Do not let it be normalized. Don't let repetition dampen its significance. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He suffered for you so that you by his poverty, by his suffering, might become rich. So in your present suffering, remember Jesus himself has delivered you from the worst suffering. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. 
But it doesn't stop there. By his wounds we are healed. So through his suffering he makes us children. He makes us heirs of God. So not only are we saved from the worst suffering. But we will enjoy a future glory with him. That is free from any and all suffering. Jesus brings us to God. He makes us children of God, so God is our God. And we are his people, and we will enjoy life with God forever in his kingdom. A kingdom of righteousness and peace with no sin, no wickedness, no evil, no injustice, no more death, no more sickness, no pain of any kind, no sorrow, no crying, everlasting joy and peace with God. Amen. This is that first anchor. To hold us steady in the storms of life. When your suffering is crushing you down, remember your Savior. Jesus suffered for you. Here's the second anchor. Jesus will bring us to a future glory that far outweighs any and all present suffering. And beloved, it's not even close. It is not even a comparison Look at verse 18 again. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We are not to compare our suffering with the suffering of others. But we are to compare our suffering with the glory that is to come. It seems that Paul began to do that. He began to compare his present suffering with this great glory to come. And then he realized, as he made this comparison in his mind, it's not even worth comparison. It's not even close. Now now think about that for a moment. Because Paul did, he said, I consider. We've seen that word in Romans before. I, I reckon. I'm thinking about this. I'm counting it to be true because it is. Now, the sufferings of this present time can be crushing. What I am proclaiming to you today is not to make light of any suffering that you may experience. It can be crushing. It can weigh you down. It can overburden you. So that you cannot stand and you, you can't even imagine how you can make it. You read the headlines, you, you, you see the stories, it's terrible, it's awful. You, right now, may be experiencing it personally yourself. The weight of this suffering, Paul considers that. He doesn't discount it, he knows it himself. You read the scriptures and see his life. He knows what it is to suffer. But here he says, he's considering that. And he says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is being revealed to us. And Paul is not naive. So what is he saying? He is looking the awful, terrible, present sufferings of this life right in the eye. And he is saying... The coming glory must be so unimaginable, far greater, far more wonderful than we can imagine. 
if this present suffering can't even compare with it. It's not even close. Now Paul begins to describe this glory in verse 19. He says, the creation, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Part of the coming glory is the revealing of the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God. That word sons encompasses us all, sons and daughters of God, all of us who are united to Christ. Well, when will that take place? Beloved, that takes place when Jesus returns, when the king comes again. Colossians 3 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul tells us that when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. This is the redemption of our bodies that Paul mentions in verse 23. These are new resurrected bodies that we will have. In these very bodies that we are given, we will be able to see Jesus. We will be able to enjoy God in all his beauty and all his glory without the limitations of pain and suffering and sin and distractions. The ones that hound us now will be gone forever. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul tells us that Jesus is coming again on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. And Paul says creation itself is longing for this day, this coming glory, when the people of God are revealed, are resurrected, and the Son of God is exalted. Creation longs for this day, when Jesus will receive the glory and the honor that is due his name. When every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Death will be defeated once and for all, and all of God's promises will be fully realized and enjoyed. We long for this day, and creation is longing to be free to enjoy this as well. Paul mentions the creation five times in this passage. The creation, the earth, the trees and the birds, the animals and the stars, they're all longing for, For this day. Why? Well verse 20 tells us. The creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly. But because of him who subjected it. In hope. That the creation itself. Will be set free from its bondage to corruption. And obtain the freedom. Of the glory of the children of God. So Paul says first. The creation was subjected to futility. Paul's talking about Adam's fall into sin. When the first created man sinned against God, the created world was subjected to futility. This means weeds in the garden, pain in childbirth. It's the repeated refrain that we hear in Ecclesiastes over and over again. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's that same word that's used here in Romans for futility. This continuous cycle of death and decomposition where life is always ending in death. God's original creation did not have these things. But sin brought it into the world. This futility. 
when our oldest daughter was our oldest daughter Elena was just a young child we must have been talking about this and we were out husking corn and you might remember she said to me dad if Adam and Eve didn't sin would the corn come already husked and ready to eat I don't know if that would be the case but she was thinking about these things the effects of sin on the world sin brought suffering and all its forms into the world to people and to creation itself Paul says the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope in hope so sin brought suffering and futility into the world but it wasn't Adam it wasn't Satan who subjected the world to this futility in hope. It was God Almighty himself. This subjection to futility was done by God, his judgment on sin in the world, but this subjection is not final. It's done in hope, in hope of a different end, an end that only God can bring. Beloved, God is the only one who brings true hope to the sufferings of the world. And Paul says it's in this hope that we are saved. And you need to know if you're listening here this morning and you haven't heard that word hope the way the Bible uses it, you need to know it doesn't mean the same thing we mean by it today. Right? We, we say that we hope for things all the time. And the way we use that word in common English today is we're hoping for things that we aren't sure are going to happen. In fact, a lot of times there's probably a great chance they won't happen. But that is not the way the word is used in the Bible. In the Bible, the word hope is a future certainty. We don't see it yet, but it is guaranteed. And so this is why Paul says that we God's children, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, or perhaps better translation would be we have the spirit as the first fruits remember we're not in the flesh we're in the spirit we have the spirit of the living god dwelling within us and that spirit is the guarantee of this glory to come the spirit is the deposit the down payment it's god saying you can be sure future glory is coming and i'll put my spirit in you to give you that certainty that guarantee. He's telling us a glorious change. A transformation is coming. When Jesus returns, when we, his people, are glorified, we are going to bring the entire creation with us. So that on that last day, creation itself will be transformed. Set free from its bondage to corruption, free from all the effects of sin, a new beauty that we cannot fathom. And beloved, we are blessed to live in one of the most beautiful places on earth here in Lancaster County. You drive around and there is beauty all around you. That cannot compare to the beauty that is to come. A new heavens and a new earth. There will be peace among the nations. No more oppression. No war, no fighting, and this extends to every corner on earth. The prophet Isaiah gives us a picture of this in the Old Testament. He says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. 
The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze together. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It sounds like I might get a pet tiger. It sounds like the children might play with a lion someday. This is representative of the coming glory. The peace that is to come. No suffering that Jesus is bringing where everyone and everything worships Jesus the Lord. The creator, the king, the savior as he deserves. Every Sunday we say we aim to put the glory of Christ on display and invite you to respond. Well beloved, this is a very small and dim foretaste of what is to come. There's coming a a glorious, clear display of the glory of God and everyone will respond with perfect worship that Jesus deserves. The new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21, John has this wonderful vision and he says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. They had been set free from their bondage I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. In verse 22 of Romans 8, Paul compares creation to a pregnant woman. He says the whole creation is groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Creation is longing, it's groaning for this day. And in verse 23, Paul says that we, God's children, we also groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for this day. Now this groaning, this this inward groaning that Paul mentions... It's not limited to the groaning that we experience as a result of the suffering of this present age. We know that suffering can make us groan, make us weep, make us fall to our knees. But this word here actually means a longing. It's the images of straining your neck to see something. You're looking for something so much. You're looking forward to something so much. You're straining your neck to see it. You're longing for it. So we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. So the image I get of this is it's that child in the car on the long road trip asking over and over again, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Now the child can ask that in two different ways, right? It can be that whiny, are we there yet? Like, I'm so tired of this ride. Or, maybe you're going to a very special place. Maybe you're going to see grandparents that they haven't seen in so long. And it's that excitement. Are we there yet? I can't wait to get there. And this is the image Paul is giving us. He repeats it in 2 Corinthians 5, 
where he writes, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, he's talking about our earthly bodies, if, if this body is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's talking about this future glory. And then he says, For in this tent we groan. In this present life we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. We have this longing, this eager anticipation. This is what we long for. And this is what Jesus is bringing us to. And this is our second anchor in the midst of our suffering. Jesus will bring us to a future glory that far outweighs our present suffering and it's not even close. Well, I said before that Paul compares creation to a pregnant woman in this passage. Imagine being pregnant and not knowing what is happening. Imagine that. Why all, now I know as a man this is harder for me to imagine. Many of you women could imagine this. But imagine, why all these aches? Why all these pains? Why do my feet hurt? Why does my back hurt? Why can't I sleep anymore? Why is my body changing? Why am I sick all the time? Why am I hungry all the time? Why do I crave all these strange foods all the time? Imagine not having any idea what's going on. And then when the process of birth comes itself, this intense pain and agony, what is happening? Make it stop. Does it make a difference to know where that all is leading? The desired outcome that it is bringing? The joy of a child? Jesus says this in John chapter 16. He's, he's speaking to his followers. Those who are being persecuted. They are experiencing a present suffering. And he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. You will suffer. And it will be bad. You will weep and lament. The world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will be turned to joy. It's suffering and then glory. And then Jesus says this, when a woman is giving birth, She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, so Jesus is making this comparison. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Beloved, Jesus is bringing his family, the children of God, his heirs, all who are united to him by faith, including you today. He is bringing you to this coming glory that will result in a joy that no one can ever take from you, an eternal happiness with no suffering and no sorrow. I don't know if any of you have ever had this experience. Often... When, uh, when I'm on a vacation with my family, it's something that I've really been looking forward to. And then it finally comes, and we're, we're away, wherever it may be. Maybe it's Wellsboro, and we're just enjoying this peace and this refreshment. And we're there, and you know, the first day comes and goes, the second day comes and goes. I'm really having a great time, but in the back of my mind, you know what I'm thinking about? It's going to be over. <laughs> exactly. And I'm already counting the days. And they're coming, and it's coming, and it's going to end And it nearly ruins the vacation. Because you're just thinking about 
It's going to end. Beloved, we're headed not to a dream vacation, but to a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. To be with all of God's people in our glorified, resurrected bodies in God's kingdom, enjoying the very presence of God, seeing Jesus with our own eyes, a kingdom without end. We won't be counting down the days wondering when it's going to end and we have to go back to the misery and the suffering of life. That's not happening. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Suffering and then glory. Well, I wonder, I don't think Paul could write this passage without Stephen in mind, without thinking of his brother Stephen. Because if you read in Acts chapter 7, it tells us the people are crying out with a loud voice. They stop their ears when Stephen tells them that they put Christ to death. They crucified the Savior. They'd stop their ears. They're so angry with him. And they rush together at him. And they cast him out of the city. And they stone him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Who would become Paul. Paul was there. He witnessed it as an enemy of God. And as they were stoning Stephen, Paul heard Stephen call out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What sustained Stephen? What gave him strength to call that out in the midst of his suffering and his death? The scriptures tell us, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And Stephen saw him standing. Why is he standing? To receive his beloved child. To bring him home. And Stephen said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What strengthened Stephen in his suffering? The fact that Jesus suffered for Stephen sustained him. The coming glory that would far outweigh his present suffering sustained him. Stephen was sustained by the glory of Jesus. His gaze at glory by the coming glory of this Savior. Amy Carmichael writes of it in a shorter poem. She says, Christ suffered in the flesh. If those who follow him in obedience now are called to suffer, they can conquer. If they arm themselves with the same mind. He looked on to the glory which should follow, so they. Beloved, this is the only way we can make it in this world of suffering. This is what Jesus did. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It's what Stephen did. This is what thousands of believers have done for thousands of years. It's what you and I must learn to do today. It's what Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 8. The only way we can make it through this present suffering is to look to the coming glory.
And so today, if you doubt that you can take another step, if you don't think that you can make it through one more day, anticipate the final scene. Jesus suffered for you. And he himself, the eternal son of God, the risen Lord, the king of kings, he himself is bringing you to a coming glory that far outweighs your present suffering and it's not even close. Amen. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.